0: Hey, honey, I have a new book coming out.
1: I've read it. It made me cry at the end. I was so proud of your work.
0: Would you say that it's at least as good as Girl, Wash Your Face?
1: I would not say that it's at least as good, because I think it is better than Girl, Wash Your Face. I cried in part because I imagined Noah Hollis, our daughter, knowing one day that the woman who wrote that book and changed the way that she thinks about how a woman can or can't be in the world lives in our house and is her mother. Babe. It's real.
0: So if you are curious what the book's all about, you can go on to basically anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart.com, and check out the description. But the intention here was this is for the dreamers. This is for the hustlers, for the goal setters, for anybody who wants to achieve something and is curious about the steps that you need to take. And also how you can, as a woman, chase down a dream without shame
1: if you like the sweet sweet voice of that rachel hollis who was just speaking two seconds ago she does the audio narration on audible and that's available for pre-order right this second
0: hi guys i'm rachel hollis
1: and i'm dave hollis
0: and we're married
1: For like 14 years.
0: And together for 16.
1: We have kids.
0: Four kids.
1: Which is like a thousand kids.
0: We've also been foster parents to four kids as well.
1: We're running a business together. We
0: do a lot of things.
1: That is a lot of
0: things. (laughs) But we feel like it's possible, we know it's possible, to have an exceptional relationship regardless of the stresses you have in your life.
1: That's why we decided to do a podcast together.
0: It's called Rise Together.
1: So if you want some tips and tricks on how we
0: kind of get through all the things. This
1: is it. Come on down. Here we go. <laughs> We're recording.
0: We're recording. We are recording. We do have real mics. Mic check, mic check. One, two.
1: One, two, three, four.
0: We are recording with real mics, but we are still at our house where there are <laughs> small tracks. A, a tractor
1: just drove by the window.
0: <laughs> Except that what made it funny is that it's roughly the size of a of a Yorkie terrier. So I what? didn't even know they made tractors that small. What a
1: cute what a cute little <laughs> tractor.
0: Not a toy tractor, y'all. An actual tractor that a human being is driving in. What are they doing in our backyard right now?
1: Uh, I believe they're creating the steps out the back patio. I don't know what they're doing. I don't
0: either. Honestly, a crew of men could just show up in our backyard. We've had construction going on in our house basically since we moved in. A crew of men could just show up and set up camp in our backyard, and I don't think that we would question it.
1: I actually think that they're filming an Ocean's Eleven sequel (laughs) in our backyard right now. I just expect like George Clooney to come out of a hole at some point and be like, all right, we're ready.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. You
1: know what we're going to talk about this week?
0: Something that has nothing to do with this conversation, as per usual. We started in the wrong place.
1: I'm going to connect the dots right here.
0: Whoa, do it.
1: Sometimes an adoption journey can be as complicated as the plot of Ocean's Eleven.
0: lordy, lordy. It requires
1: as many people. Oh my gosh. As many specialists as it were.
0: I don't want to make the segue from Ocean's Eleven to adoption.
1: All right. Have you ever seen the movie Shawshank Redemption? Oh, good
0: grief. Okay, for reals though. (laughs) No, we thought it would be great. We thought it would be great to talk about our adoption journey because it is a question that we get quite a lot from people on the internet. How did you decide to adopt? How do you know that you're ready to adopt? What are the steps that you took? And we thought we would take you through what, um, what got us from there to here because today, the day that this goes live, is our daughter Noah's second Birthday.
1: Feliz cumpleaños, Noah.
0: Oh, such a big girl. Um, but the journey to get her started about seven years ago. Seven.
1: Seven years ago. Seven
0: years ago. So she's two. But we started the process to adopt seven years ago.
1: I think when
0: I was pregnant with four. Yeah,
1: I was just gonna say, I think the like the very, very beginnings of us having adoption like adoption was not for either of us and either of our families a thing that really existed there was for me anyway like it it hadn't even really occurred to me as a thing that maybe we should think about doing it was just never on the table and then we were driving to the hospital to find out the sex of our third biological son
0: and I was positive it was a boy because we basically, we made boys, and uh, Dave's family makes a lot of boys, and so we figured we were about to have another boy, and there was a part of me that was sad. I, you know, I hate to say that, but it sounds truthful. I was sad because I had always wanted a daughter. Guys, we're at our house. The dog's barking. There's a chance Noah's going to bust in the store right now. Just go with it, but I was sad. I had always wanted a daughter, and Being pretty sure that we were about to find out that we were having a third son, which was such a blessing, but that was the impetus for would we adopt? Because it was never a question of what we try again.
1: Oh, no. Well, here's the thing. I actually think that we almost jokingly said, well, if this turns out to be another boy, then uh, we're just going to have to adopt a girl. And it wasn't said seriously, Agreed. but I do think a seed was planted in that, on the car ride over to the OB to see the sex of the baby conversation. Mm-hmm. The seed was planted.
0: And then it was a boy.
1: We found out that the baby was a boy.
0: And we got back in the car. His we're name like, is Ford Hollis. <laughs> we're like, so adoption.
1: I don't, here's the thing. I don't think it was that fast. I actually think, from my memory, and maybe I have embellished this because I've told the story so many times, but right around the same time that that seed had been planted, we were given this book Interrupted.
0: You are just literally making stories up right now. You
1: don't think that Interrupted happened and was part of our decision to interrupt our lives?
0: I think that when... Well, I'll be truthful because I feel like it doesn't help if you aren't. Um, though I know that I, when I say this, I risk upsetting people because I recognize how many families would love to have a baby, would love to be able to conceive. You're you're battling your sixth or seventh round of IVF, or you're not even sure how you could afford IVF, or you're struggling through loss. And so I don't say this flippantly, but, um, I was a little disappointed when I found out we were having a boy and being able to look to to look forward into we're going to adopt you will have a daughter was what made it possible for me to enjoy and embrace this third pregnancy with a son
1: you you have always talked about one your appreciation for your ability to have kids and how much we like support people who can't but that you just hated being pregnant.
0: I hated it.
1: So the idea I of having it. another run at a girl. I was so sick. I was, was just so a zero. Uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. There, there was, was no, no chance.
0: And both Dave and I come from families of four kids and I'm the baby of four. And so there just was, there were all sorts of things wrapped up in it for me. Here's
1: the thing. I grabbed it off the shelf. It was printed in 2014. I think we got it in 2014. No, I'm
0: sure we did. But you started by saying someone gifted us interrupted. And that's not true. I was a fan of Jen Hatmaker from Jump Street. Hello. And this was just the next in the line of books that I was going to read by her. And in it, she tells the story of them starting their church and them going through their adoption process. And it definitely got us thinking about what we wanted to do and I think it solidified for us that if we were going to adopt, we wanted to adopt from a place where we felt like there was great need. All right, so start that. We, want, we wanted to, a pla- to adopt from a place where we felt like there was great need and basically what happens when you decide to adopt and you can go on Google right now and you'll find basically what we did because that's how we figured it out was the first thing you have to do is decide how are you adopting. International adoption? Are you adopting domestically? And if you're adopting domestically, is that from foster care? If you were decided to go through foster care, are you going to use an agency? Or are you going to go direct through the county? Are you going to go independent adoption? There's like all of these choices. So the first step is you have to figure out which one you're going to choose because depending... There's different paperwork, blood tests, doctor's visits, all the things. So we decided, naively, so naive, oh my gosh, we were so dumb, dumb as a box of rocks. But it was really important to us at the time, and of course, God laughed and laughed, that our baby's family would not have access to her. We were really scared of the biological family having access.
1: So ridiculous now. But but at the time, that
0: was, you know, whatever. You live and you learn. But um, so we thought we would go through with international adoption because in international adoption, we're like, well, if they're in another country, then we don't have to worry about biological family. That was literally our
1: thought process. And, And the worry, just to be clear, was like, They'll come back and try and like mm-hmm. woo her away, or from take us. the baby. Take the baby, like some like which th- is th- ironic. It was all very insecure driven. One thing that's interesting when people ask me, like, well, what's the first thing I need to do if I'm thinking about adoption? I always tell them find humans in your community yes. who have adopted. Yes, because listening to us talk about it, we have one version of what happened in our story, and everyone has, I think, a little bit of a different version. I can remember we were going to a church at the time where someone had adopted through Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. And so like in a weird way though we didn't know them well, they're having successfully finished this thing. Having read a story about Jen having successfully finished this thing made it feel like, oh, this will be yeah. easy. Like it's worked for these other people. Of course it'll be easy.
0: When it comes to international adoption, the first thing you have to do is choose your country. The very first thing, because you can't do any paperwork until you decide which country you're adopting from. And every single country has different rules and regulations and requirements. And some countries, because they can just choose, have, well, what I would think of as kind of crazy regulations. Like, you can't adopt from this country unless you're Catholic. You can't adopt from this country unless, there was literally one, this was seven years ago, but there was one where you couldn't adopt from that country unless you had like, uh, your health was like at a, it was just, there's all these rules. And so you have to identify which country you can apply for. And in the U S there were plenty of countries like we can't, I don't know why, but we don't have adoptions with Canada at least seven years ago, Canada, Australia, UK, which I thought was bananas. Cause I'm like, we speak the same language. It feels like, but, um, there are rules and then once you figure out what you can apply for you also have to decide different countries come with different different traumas so a child who's in an orphanage in Ethiopia is likely there because she or he is a true orphan um the AIDS epidemic in in Ethiopia means that there are a lot of orphans, like true orphans, both parents are deceased. Whereas a child that's in an orphanage in Eastern Europe might be there for a totally different reason. So you had to understand, because here's something that you need to know. No matter where you are adopting from, this is like, take off the rose-colored glasses, really understand this. There is a story And in many cases, there are traumas that will be a part of your child's life, period. Full stop. You cannot change it.
1: Also, one of the best things that we learned in this journey was this idea of matching your strengths and the child's needs.
0: Yes, I forgot about that. That was good.
1: And so like... One of the things that you, if you're a prospective adoptive parent, need to really dive into and ask yourself and your partner, if you're doing this with a partner, is what are my strengths? What can I actually handle? What are the things that I know I can provide to this child or children? And what might they come with needs-wise? And are those things matched? And part of why that ends up being important is on the international side, there were also countries where you could get some visibility as to whether or not they were gonna have certain health issues. There were some countries where you did not know. And so since we had already three biological children that were working parents, like we had to think about, could we pick a country where the health of the, of the child was just a complete unknown? We couldn't, mm-hmm. we didn't have the strengths to meet that need. Yeah. So finding out what your strengths and needs are. When it came down to it, Ethiopia, had what we thought at the time was a match between our strengths and their needs. Mm -hmm. And we found an agency Mm -hmm. that uh, specialized out of the United States in helping create that handshake between the U.S. State Department and the local agencies on the ground in the country and started filling out
0: so much paperwork. A ton of paperwork. Uh, there, No matter where you adopt from, you are going to fill out more paperwork than you ever thought was possible. And in fact, if you talk to um, caseworkers who work at these agencies, they will tell you that that is the longest part of the process. Is that people start and then get really daunted, are very daunted by the amount of... Paperwork, the amount of classes you have to take, the Background amount of checks, blood work, the it's references. It's uh, it's an undertaking. It is an absolute undertaking, and we did all the things. It took us a while. We got through, and then we they waited. told
1: us, yeah they told us like hey congrats your dossier has been completed yep it has officially been submitted yeah and you are. Were we 36th? I wanna say that we were the 36th yeah. family yeah. on the list of possible placements and they would give us an update as our 36th in line became 35th, became mm-hmm. 30th, etc. You just
0: slowly move your way up this list.
1: And as a person, I am such an expectations manager, I wanted more than anything to know, can you give me a range on time? And one thing I will say with this international adoption phase, with what ended up being foster care, what ended up being private adoption. In every case, if you are a person who needs definitive time Mm -hmm. to be guaranteed or told to you in a way that you can say, okay, I can depend on that, this game is not for you.
0: Yeah, straight up listen to me right now. Do not rose-colored glasses this. Do not paint this and wrap this in a bow this process takes so much longer. I would say twice as long as the long estimate. Just, just think that. Because then you won't be frustrated. I mean, it was five years for us. Yep. Five years, guys. So if they tell you two, you go ahead and tell yourself four years. And then you're gonna be like, okay. And also you're gonna understand when you walk into it. Because most of the time we're thinking of our children now. Like We're thinking, oh, Ford is a baby, and so this will be perfect two years from now. He'll be two, and then we'll get his little sister, and then they'll both be toddlers together, and the reality was that he was four years old when she came home from the hospital, so just be mindful, right? Four or five?
1: Yeah, four and a half.
0: Yeah. Just be mindful of how long it's going to take, so... We, we're, in the, we're in the process with Ethiopia. We wait, we wait, we wait. About almost two, a year and a half.
1: I think every like 15 minutes of this conversation, we have to stop and say that this journey was probably one of the most profound of our adult lives and the miracle of Noah being a part of our family is one of the things that has had more directional impact on what we're doing in life and it's been amazing. But our job here is also to be really honest about this process.
0: Yeah, because... The thing is, we didn't understand. We didn't and, know. And there's a, there's a great movie that you should watch if you're interested called Instant Family. It's a Mark Wahlberg movie. That is so real. It's like the realest of the real. Whoever wrote that 100% is a parent who adopted from foster care. It's based it on is, a true story. Yeah. It's so accurate. And those parents in that movie go in and they're so like bright eyed and bushy tailed and they get the kids home and they're like oh, no, our kids are really perfect. And the other parents and their like, parent group are laughing at them, like, oh, just give it a minute. And then two weeks later, they're like, this is the worst.
1: Yeah, I think it's like the idea of front-loading is a thing we talk about all the time. This is just like front-load yourself. Like feel called into this, but go in with your eyes wide open because then you won't be as frustrated or you won't feel like it's as hard maybe as it will feel like certain days because you knew going in that's what it was going to be. Yeah. So we're in line.
0: Yeah, so we're in line, and then they call and they say, Ethiopia has closed its adoptions with the U.S.
1: I wish that they just told us that the first call. Yeah,
0: you're right. They said, like, suspended.
1: At first they said, it's slowing down. We'll call you in a month. Then they said, uh, two months later, it's really slowed. You went from 36th to 35th on the list. And I start doing the math like, okay, if we get one pairing every three months... Basically, I'll have been dead for 40 years by the time this adoption goes through, right? So, like, it was starting to feel, and then they did eventually say, hey, after about a year, they said, hey, it's really slowed down, as in it's closing, as in we don't know when it will reopen. There were some things happening on the ground in Ethiopia around child trafficking that made our State Department choose to not have mm-hmm. the kind of relationship that they'd had previously. I don't
0: know. I actually, I think it was the reverse. I just want to make sure we say it the right way. I think it was Ethiopia that closed its adoptions because there was, we understand now, I, I, I understood years later when I got to go to Ethiopia, how bad human trafficking is there um, for, for lots of reasons. But one of the things that they do is they'll go to small outlying villages that are poor, And they are poor by our standards, but these mamas love their babies just like we love our babies. And they go and they steal these babies and they put them into orphanages so that unsuspecting families all over the world can adopt a baby. It's awful, awful. 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 So there are, um, there are studies about, unfortunately, how many, not just Ethiopia, it happens other places too, but that there are you know, people who have adopted, I'm using air quotes, orphans here in the U.S. or abroad that weren't orphans. They had parents. So it's it's something they closed down because they couldn't pop properly control mm. and they needed to be careful. So I just, I don't think it was Fair. us. I think it was Fair. Ethiopia.
1: Uh, and that was for us because it felt, again, like time committed, emotionally we had committed, we done... We
0: had paid we, a we, lot of... No, no, we need to yeah. call it that because that it was a massive investment of money that's just gone and i remember this agency was like oh do you want to start again in another country and we were like okay well do we get to just transfer all of this to this other country and then we're like put higher on the list they're like no you you have to start all over again and every country has different paperwork so none of it's applicable It's like when your kid was in fourth grade at the local elementary school and then your kid comes back and they're in the same elementary school, but they're in fifth grade, you got to refill out all that paperwork. That's exactly what internet, that was a joke for all the moms.
1: Um, Side benefit we did because we, you know, at the time thought we were going to have a child who would have black skin, joined a multicultural church, got the benefit of trying to become a little smarter about what it might be like to have a biracial family and, there were so many good things that came from it, mm-hmm. but that vision that we'd created at the beginning of this journey of who our daughter was going to be yeah. and what she was going to look like, yeah. it changed yeah. in that moment and, was, um, and it was, hard. It was yeah. a hard. That was a hard pivot.
0: Because I do think when you feel like you're called to something, when you feel really um, positive that you've been called to something and then you're like, whoa, 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 what now? Like, was I wrong? Did I make this up? Like, so then I thought, okay, I don't, you know, I don't want to give up, but I really wanted to adopt from a place where there was great need. That was still in my heart. And I thought, let's adopt locally in LA. And the only way to adopt locally in LA is to, we didn't know it at the time, was that you, have to agree to be a foster parent in LA County because they're so desperate for foster parents. You have to agree to be a foster parent for a certain period of time before you are put into the adoption program.
1: It's important to say the point that Rachel mentions. We did not know that at the time. I would, my, my like practical mind would have definitely, um, questioned our ability to be foster parents. Absolutely. Our like, our needs and their, our strengths and their needs being, being paired. But part of the process was that we had to go to parenting classes, which is parents of three kids felt like a kind of weird thing, but.
0: And it was like eight Saturdays.
1: 75 hours.
0: They're trying to train you in what will the, the things that your, um, the children in care will have encountered. And it's, It's awful. And I understand it's It's so, it's it's not, I mean, if it's hard for you as an adult to hear, what's it like when you're a four year old having to walk through it? But, um, it was a lot. And I, if I was going to do it again, if we were going to go through that process again, I would have used an agency. We didn't use a foster placement agency. We went directly through the County and that Was was an abysmal decision.
1: It was hard. The thing is that that team,
0: the training team,
1: the, just the no. Just, I mean, like it, just generally speaking, like it's oh, it's it's, it's so a bad. community, unfortunately, that is built on tragedy. Yeah, and so there's brokenness built on tragedy in the people who are you know having to every day interact with. Yeah. By the way, there are some people inside of foster care who become foster parents because you get paid to be a foster parent. Absolutely. They are in the foster parenting business for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And so there are a lot of controls that exist to try and protect children from yeah, people who are in it for the wrong reasons. That's true. But the people who are in it for the right reasons still have to go through and endure the suspicion of why you're in yes. this.
0: Yeah, that's true. Right. That's true. Um,
1: but it was 75 hours of parenting classes, and it was the 74th hour that we were told, "Hey, by the yeah. way, you have to foster before you adopt." And yeah. I still remember that drive home from the that's other side right. of town, I where I was like,
0: "We were so pissed. What
1: are we? What are we do? like?" And honestly, this was one of those things again. where It was like God called us into this place. God, why have you left? Like, kind of led us here, and like we felt at the end of the Ethiopia you know, stage of this, why have you brought us here to leave us here? And then we had to kind of take a step back and think about, okay, I guess we've been called into foster care. It didn't feel like a thing that we were ready for, but you know And what? we were
0: super freaked out about how would this affect our children? Of course. Like, how is it going to affect the boys if we bring kids into our home that then have to leave? And I remember we called them into the kitchen and we were like... So there are kids in our town mom, who, who have mommies and daddies that are sick and the mommies and daddies can't take care of them and there's something called foster care where we can as a family volunteer to care for them until their mommy and daddy get better. And we, that's how we explained it. And I remember Sawyer was like trying to understand his little guy and he said, I feel like if a baby came into our house and then had to leave, I would be sad because I would miss her. And I said, I understand, but I think that God calls us to show up for other people even when it's hard for us. And he was like, okay, can I go play video games? Honestly. You know, it was that that quick. It was
1: that quick. Jackson had the same reaction. Ford was younger, so he didn't probably understand as much of it. But like one of the things that was certainly a like gate for me was oh man what's this going to be or feel like for our kids and the headline was your kids are more resilient than you give oh them my credit gosh, for so much. and there were plenty of moments where things were sad we'll get to all of those in a second and guess what modeling that sadness for our kids and showing them that they can make choices to do things that are inevitably going to make them sad was a rad thing for us to get to do even when it was hard yeah. even when it was really hard
0: so we were in the foster program. We're on our way to church one day. We get a call. They say we have an 11-month-old baby girl. And we were like, I was like getting called up to the big leagues. Like we had been waiting for this moment. And the thing was, when you're on the list for foster placement, you get all kinds of calls. This was like the 25th call I'd gotten. But they'll say things, like you have specifications that you've agreed on with your, um, your placement um, social worker like for instance we were um set up to take in a under two years old like we had a crib Uh, you will get calls for like i have a 14 year old boy i have three kids under the age of nine like they don't it's so chaotic in that system that you'll just get calls for anything so i'd gotten a lot of calls but never you know the right and it said we have this little girl and she's 11 months old and we were like absolutely
1: i remember it was the opening weekend of jungle book (laughs) I had on Sunday on Sunday mornings I had to do press for my old job and I remember I got done with the press and like it was all I was thinking about and you were like I got the call like it's amazing what a single phone call can do to changing your complete perspective on what actually matters in the world isn't that true because I did not even remember where I worked when those words fell out of your mouth Mm -hmm. because now all of a sudden it was like well, what do we do? What, yeah. uh, what, what's going to happen? Do we need to... And the reality is, someone calls you, you say okay, and 28 minutes later, a white van... You
0: are so full of it. it, was, it they called at 11 a.m. She showed up at our house at 6.30 p.m.
1: Well, 28 minutes in five hours in yeah, the come big scheme of things... 28 minutes. ...is about the same. All I'm saying is, in one afternoon's worth of time, yes. a white van showed up And handed a human being to us with a pillowcase of stuff. Yep. And said, good luck. See you later. See you later. And you're like,
0: well, what is she eating? And the person's like, I don't know. Because she just got pulled into care. They have no, they don't know anything. And so, oh my gosh, she was such a sweet baby. She was such a, she was such a sweet baby. Gorgeous. Like, really good. Really well behaved. Um, We... Didn't know at the time, because she was in care, she had a lot of medical issues, which is, which is, this is, imagine, like, this is so awful. Here is this baby with some pretty severe medical issues, and we had no idea. Nobody did. And in we fact... We found out changing her, her
1: first diaper.
0: Well, she had it, yeah. She had, she had um, a huge scar on her surgery, stomach. From surgery, yeah. But then I found out when, a few days later, I talked to her mom. And the mom was like, she's taking her medicine okay, right? And I was like, what medicine? And the mom like screamed. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So it was just, it was, um, it's, it's like a chaotic, messy, hard thing. It's also, I think, adjusts every perception you've had of, of everything. First of all, you're going to be exposed to children who've lived a life So much harder than you can even fathom, and I like I even go back to saying that she was such a well behaved baby. She was such a well behaved baby because she had to be, because she even at eleven months understood. You know, I gotta go along to get along. Yeah. So it was it was just it was hard.
1: So the crazy thing too in this was three days in. Yeah. You already had a trip planned.
0: I was doing. I was in New York taping Chopped. I was a judge on Chopped.
1: Taping Chopped. Yes, that is really what happened. Which, by the happened. way, great episode. <laughs> I love that episode. Um, Rachel's in New York, so I'm like, awesome. Uh, my company was great; they let me, you know, stay home, have a little paternity time with this new baby who's coming to our house. And I get a phone call from the emergency placement worker who'd called Rachel, and he says, "Hey, uh, this 11 month old that you've taken in, she has a 22 month." old sister who is in a like holding center of some kind like she wasn't yet placed and they wanted to know if we'd be willing to have the girls reunited in our house and it was like uh uh, okay, hold on. Uh, yeah. let, me, let me call Rachel. I'll call you right back. And of course, the instinct immediately, immediately for me was like, I, yeah, I think we will.
0: Part of it too, again, this is like if I could do something differently, it would be to understand that we were still in a honeymoon stage of what this was going to be. And you should never make big decisions in a honeymoon stage. Um, the hard thing is that these caseworkers are so overwhelmed of uh, your your child in care that you have that file is one of a hundred files sitting on their desk and they need placement because they've got a two-year-old baby who doesn't have anywhere to go and so calling us and saying hey could you take on another baby you know, of course they did.
1: Helps them with their workload, helps keep the girls together, but it's... But we again, went from
0: three to five, and um, they were with us. It was, uh, we should say, it was the one of the hardest times. It was controlled uh, chaos. Oh one of the gosh. things that
1: was actually craziest at the very beginning, though, was petitioning the state to increase the occupancy, occupancy. of our home from one child under two to two children under two. You'd, you'd think when there's an emergency placement need and they are asking basically, hey, can you do us this solid that doing a solid would be something that the state would, would rush. Help. Would rush. <laughs> I, I called every hour on the hour. And finally, they increased our occupancy to two kids under two and her sister arrived. And I will say one of the most magical moments I've probably oh, witnessed in gosh. life, yeah, I in agree. life, was this almost two year old baby? I mean, Noah is. I'm going to cry even thinking about this. Noah is basically the same age. Yeah, you're right. As she as was, yeah, 22 month old was, and she sees her baby sister, her almost one year old sister, and she says, and she says, <gasps> baby, baby. I mean, she, she knew the exactly recognition who it was. of being reunited with her sister was, it was so it was special, perfectly a, a miraculous, perfect moment. Um, anyway, so they are with us.
0: We have the girls for about three months I think
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they transition out
1: one of the things that was amazing I'll give Disney credit to they let us put them on their they insu- did. On my insurance
0: yeah they and
1: the, the one year old who had so a lot of problems, problems was able to go see so many specialists and doctors yeah which was a, like literally a miracle also she took her first steps in our house yeah also we had a one year old birthday party and a two year old birthday party yeah and the people in our families, meeting them for the first time, almost, showed up with gifts and mm-hmm. love and celebrated their turning one and two in a way that they deserved to have a celebration thrown mm-hmm. for them. So, um, you know, I, I, I remember the hard stuff, but I actually, in a weird way, that picture of... Birdie taking her first steps. Yeah, we gave them nicknames, yeah, so we're not I, using their real names. Yeah, I mean, I remember that more yeah. than I remember the th- stuff that you know was was hard. But I
0: remember <clears> the <throat> hard stuff that came after because it was so petrifying to me. Yeah. So I'll say I've said it before, but the day that the girls left our house was one of the most awful days of my life, second only to the day that my brother died, because when they came to pick them up a two-year-old and a one-year-old um they did not the girls didn't mind at all they literally had i remember them sitting in the back of a car and which is like a stranger's car because it's a new social worker again and we had packed up these big bags and i had made lists and here's how they eat and here's what they do and here's all their clothes and all the things and little girls got in the car and they waved they said bye mommy didn't bother them for one second. And I thought it was the most awful thing I had ever seen because a baby should never leave someone's home. And I remember saying to Dave, my heart needs a minute. I need a minute. I can't be put in. I can't talk about adoption right now. I can't do anything. And three weeks later, we got an email that said, twins? Twins? Question mark. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they let us know that there were newborn twins who had been, we were told, abandoned at the hospital. And they were both born addicted. And if we wanted them, we had 20 minutes to decide to adopt twins. And Dave was at work and I was at work and we sat on the phone freaking out. And we prayed and we said the biggest yes of our whole lives.
1: I remember exactly where I was. I remember what meeting it was, which is weird because I don't remember anything. And I remember it exactly because the jarring nature of we have twenty minutes to decide on adding two humans forever to yeah. our, our family.
0: And we went we got to pick them up the next day at the hospital. The picture's still on my Instagram of our member. They wheeled them in and like it's so solid in my mind of me seeing them and saying in my head, like these are my daughters. Yeah. And on, on Instagram that day, it's a picture of us looking like so excited and like Bananas. so shell shocked. And I wrote, we prayed so hard for a daughter that God gave us too.
1: Yeah. And in a crazy way, because I'd had to petition the state for two children under two our house being available for two kids under two made it one of one yeah you know like it that it felt so ordained yeah
0: it did um and we got them and they struggled so much they were so little and they were working you know they were going through withdrawals and so we would have to wrap them up we'd wrap them in like um swaddles and keep them real tight to our chest and walk the floors with them for all hours it was so hard and it was i was so happy yeah It It was was probably the
1: happiest, I think, I've seen you in in a crazy way because of, like, you can't sync up the sleeping patterns of two babies. No, not a thing. Period. It's not a thing. Having one baby. Hard enough. Hard. Two babies coming off drugs. Yeah. Needing to be held through all hours of the night who don't ever actually sleep at the same time. It was bonkers. It was bananas. And there was still a happiness on your face and in your heart that you could feel it radiated from Well, the irony
0: is I didn't feel that kind of joy with Noah because I was afraid to feel it. Mm. So I do think like that was my happiest time as a new mom because I idealistically had no idea that it could be taken away. Wow. And then they were with us for six weeks. I mean, we had named that like... The whole thing.
1: They were rolled in as baby A and baby B. So and, yeah, we, we named, named them.
0: them. Um, and then, I don't know, six weeks probably was when their dad, their biological dad decided that he wanted them. And we were devastated. And we were done with the system. Like we were like, it. the whole thing felt...
1: Yeah. <sighs> It was oh. it was a uh, it was a rug pull of rug pulls. It like and it was represented uh, as hey look, it was there was there was some misleadingness to the mm-hmm. adoptability of these babies in the first place. Again, I think it kind of comes back to when you're under pressure to keep kids together mm-hmm. and you're trying to work through a big caseload. Sometimes uh, the
0: twins were never adoptable babies they were always foster care babies but that's not what they told us because they needed placement and I had I still think that this was like I don't even know if this was like subconscious or God or whatever but when we were when we had first started here um, Dave had talked to the twins biological father on the phone and we were just being like let's have a good relationship with this man like he's the father of these babies and he was saying He kept saying, thank you guys so much for taking care of them. Thank you for agreeing to be. And we were like, oh, he's confused. Like, why does he keep saying that? And then I started just getting a weird feeling in my stomach. And I went back, you know, on an iPhone, you can go back and listen to all your old voicemails that you've deleted. And I had probably 100 voicemails, literally, from the time we'd been in foster care because it would show up as LA County and I knew that that was someone calling to see if we had availability for placement. So those phone calls I would tell you where they'd say we have 12 year old boy or whatever. So one night in the middle of the night, I just, I sat, I've never had that happen. I sat up in bed, I felt like it was God, and I just thought, I'm gonna go listen to those voicemails. I don't know if I've ever told this story. And I'm going to go listen to those voicemails, and I listen to one after another until I find the voicemail from three days before we got the twins that said, we have newborn twins for foster care placement, and they tell me the details. And I had deleted it because I I just, any time I got voicemails, I deleted them because I didn't, we weren't interested in taking anything. And then three days later, we get an email, do you want to adopt these babies? So when... Pressed, the county says, well, they could have been adoptable. They could have been, you know, if, yeah. if he didn't get rights for all of these things. So I don't even blame them because they had newborn twins who were sitting in a NICU and needed somewhere to go. But they absolutely let us believe that we were their parent. I mean, they said abandoned at the hospital, no parent involvement, all these things. So it was really sad yeah and the i think the hardest part about all of that to me is especially the twins i will wonder where they are for the rest of my life Yeah, because i actually don't know did they stay with their dad i don't know we don't know anything about them did they get you know i have to believe that god had a plan there was a reason they were in our house for just six weeks and now I can look at Noah and and go, oh, you know, God had this plan all along, but I don't know what his plans were for the twins. And I'll wonder for the rest of my life. Yeah. Because in my heart, they are my daughters and I don't know where they are.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's going to be a catalyst for us doing work in foster care for the rest of our lives. It's going to be a cat. It was a catalyst. Here's the thing. I Like, it was the absolute lowest part point of anything i'd ever been through certainly i yeah. definitely lived a life with less trauma but it was the most traumatic thing i've ever been through period yeah and i still i can tell you with 100 percent certainty that we live in texas today and work together and i left the walt disney company in part because of having to go through the hardest thing that we've ever gone through
0: um, and yep. surviving it yeah
1: so i like i don't want to relive it i don't want to go back there but I can still find gratitude for our, having been able to be there for them through that and for you to have had that experience of happiness for fifteen <laughs> six know, weeks yeah you know, f- five five weeks before the sixth week or whatever. but
0: it's why I do that uh, it's why I do that practice. Um, you know when I do the meditation at Rise or I've done it you know at coaching or different things where I have people meditate on, I ask you to meditate on a person you're grateful for, a place that you're grateful for, a thing that you're grateful for. And then I ask you to meditate on something horrible or awful or traumatic that happened and find gratitude in it. Because when I was able to find gratitude in that season, when I was able to remember the feel of the babies laying on my chest and find gratitude for that moment, it brought peace to the experience. Because when it was done, I would say that's the lowest I've been in my adult life. I could not stop crying. Yeah, I cried for months.
1: I couldn't fix it either. Yeah. And I just, that's all I want to do yeah. is fix it. And there wasn't really, there wasn't really a fixing it thing other than just being supportive. So, um, it took, it took a little bit. We went on a vacation to try and hit the reset button. Yeah. We, well, I was done. More... I,
0: I, we should tell that story. Like, after that, we lost the twins, I was like, I am done. I was so bitter. I was so mad at God. I really believed that this was God or the universe telling us that we were not supposed to adopt. We needed to be grateful for the boys, and we needed to move on with our lives. And I remember you pulling me in the backyard so that the boys couldn't hear us, and I was crying and you were like, our desire to have a daughter did not go away because it got hard. Like it, the, the only thing standing between us and this dream in our hearts is our, willing, like, our willingness to stick with it. You kept saying, the time's going to pass. Rachel, the time's going to pass anyway. It's going to pass anyway. Like, we just have to stay in it. We just have to. And I was, like, bawling.
1: Which is, and the crazy thing, too, is I can say this. The decision to adopt was one we made together, but Rachel led the conversation. Yeah. Right? Like, I.
0: Which is usual, by the way. Usually, if it's a male-female relationship, the female is the one who's driving the charge.
1: I am just, I'm, a, I'm such a practical person that like I could argue the reason against getting out of bed in the morning, just generally speaking, because of the dangers of getting out of bed in the morning and that this felt like we were introducing unnecessary danger to our life and yet we hit this point that really should have screamed, you can stop now, don't keep pushing into this thing and I was like more motivated than ever to continue the journey. So we did.
0: Well, so Dave got the number of an adoption attorney. And now, remember, we've done international adoption, foster uh, foster care, foster to adopt. And now we're just going to go ahead and hit for the cycle. And we're going to do independent adoption through an attorney. And,
1: and just because it's a little bit like, wow, the universe God is now showing back up in this we hadn't really talked about it other than, like, let's just stick with it. My mom, who's a nurse, has a, 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 works in a practice where there are a lot of adopted kids, and she says, hey, there's this number of this attorney. If you decide that you want to go down the, that route, maybe you give them a call. And I'm like, okay, I'll just put it in my pocket. I'm not sure, thanks very much. Six days later, I go to lunch. I happen to be working at the time with some folks at Lucasfilm, and the person I'm having lunch with adopted their children from an attorney and says, I love this attorney. You have to check out this attorney. This person lives up in the Bay Area. My mom works down in South Orange County. The name on both pieces of paper is the same name. It felt, again, like, wait a second, we're back in this. Thing. David Radis, by the way, if, <laughs> oh, yeah. you're, if you're wondering
0: which attorney we use, David Radis. This is
1: totally an ad. That he's, know, not paying no, he's not paying <laughs> for. He's not paying for. Love he that guy. Paid.
0: But um, so Dave says, will you please just come to this meeting with me? Just come to this meeting. So I sit in this meeting, and he tells us. Now remind you, this is like four and a half years in, and he tells us it's going to be two more years, because a couple of things I'll say about independent adoption. I feel like I had in my mind what a lot of people have in their head, which is like a lifetime movie. Like you're about to go adopt from a, you know, 16 year old. That's not the case. Generally, generally it's a mom who has children already, who's probably a single mom and knows how difficult it's going to bring, be to bring this baby into the world. And so she decides she's going to adopt. And he says, most of these women love that they get to help make a family for a couple who's infertile or for a couple who's same sex. And so there is a really not great chance that someone's going to choose you since you already have three kids. And we were like, man, doesn't that make it like, aren't we good? Like we prove we could keep three kids alive. Um, so I'm still not totally convinced. We listen to all these things. It feels weird. Dave's like, let me take you to lunch. And we go to lunch and we're sitting there, and we're at a restaurant where the tables are really tight with each other, but it's L.A., nobody looks at each other. Two
1: days before this meeting, Rachel has asked me, as a form of closure, now months after the twins have left our house, if I will reach out one more time to the biological father of the twins and, and just see, can we bring him dinner? Can we bring them some clothes? And I, I wanted to see the babies. You wanted to see the babies. And I thought
0: maybe that I could be like an auntie or something in their lives
1: so two days before our meeting with our attorney i've made this phone call and have had confirmation from their biological dad that he's not interested in us being a part of his or their life
0: but dave hasn't told me that
1: i've decided i'd like to have the meeting with the attorney take place so i have withheld this information
0: so we're sitting at this lunch and we're basically talking about everything, like four and a half years of this journey and how did we get there. And I'm already, I'm wearing big sunglasses because we're sitting outside and I'm crying behind my glasses. And then I say, why haven't, you tell, why haven't you told me what he said? Why haven't you told me what the dad said? And he's like, I'm sorry, babe, but he doesn't want us in their lives. And I just lose it. Yeah. Like I had been holding out hope and because I don't know, I don't know anything. I don't, I wouldn't know how to find them if I wanted to, and i was just sobbing. And I'm like, I'm done. When you I'm said done. you were done
1: this time, I was done too. Yeah, it was done. And and the thing is, I knew if I had to actually answer the question, it would be done. And the meeting with the the attorney had gone well, but it didn't matter. Yeah, the dam was broken. It was over.
0: And I'm crying. I'm like, I I quit. I quit. And all of a sudden, this man slams his hand on our table.
1: Like right next to us. Slams slams his his hand on
0: our table. And we both startle. And he says, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I couldn't help but here. I am adopted. And my parents lost two, had two failed adoptions before they got me. And if they had quit, I wouldn't be sitting at this table right now. And I wouldn't have graduated at the top of my class at college. And I wouldn't have become a music producer. And I wouldn't have met my wife. And I wouldn't... He's like named... And I mean, I am losing... I'm sobbing. And he just keeps saying, you can't give up. You can't give up. You have to try again. You have to try again.
1: And what was his name in the midst of this flood? Noah. Give me a break.
0: (laughs) So... Miracle. (laughs) If you're wondering why Noah is named Noah... It's because a stranger told us that day not to give up, and we listened, and that was October?
1: October or November.
0: And we were matched with her mom in January, and she was born February 28th, yep. we were in the room when she was born.
1: Which was, I mean, that whole experience also super, super surreal, but it was- amazing beautiful and amazing yeah
0: her first mom is amazing what's
1: what's I think too like just to like come full circle on our motivation for the Ethiopia thing was about creating separation from or having what they call a closed adoption not having any contact with the birth mom or birth dad and when we were paired with Noah's first mama we had to convince her to have an open adoption because by that point we'd had five years of either classes or being in community with people who had adopted themse- been, been adoptees or had adopted themselves. And they'd each spoken about how important having that outlet was when their child became old enough to want to understand more about their identity. And so we met, you you came into town a couple of times, yeah, I once met her. for an O B appointment. Yeah, and we to got to a
0: Cheesecake Factory.
1: Got to meet her parents. Yeah. What was crazy is her parents and us were in the d- labor and delivery room, and then when it was time to break her water, she sent her parents out and yeah, we stayed in. Yeah. And you you caught Noah. It was, caught I the cut, cut the cord. I mean. Cord. And then we had 48 magical, beautiful hours where we sat yep. in a room with her and watched ridiculous reality TV. Naked and Afraid. Naked and Afraid. We watched a movie that was produced by the person I had lunch with who told me about the adoption That's attorney right. that introduced us that That's felt very right. that was so funny. circle of life-ish. And, and then the...
0: because we adopted from another state, we adopted Noah from Nebraska, um, in an interstate adoption, you do have to wait. Uh, it's like 10 to 12 days. So we got an Airbnb in, in Nebraska.
1: Hold on. What? Before we went to the Airbnb, at the end of the 48 hours, though we felt really confident oh, that she gosh, was going to yes. sign a piece of paper, the I most was excruciating so 60 minutes, maybe, of the experience happens. When an attorney that she has walks into a room and sends you and I out. And we have to wait. Noah's in there and you wait for her to sign a stack of papers. And I thought it would
0: take like five minutes and it, it took, took an, an hour. It
1: took an hour. And I mean... I thought she
0: changed her mind. I
1: thought she changed her mind too. And
0: then the attorney came out and said, it's done. And I thought she meant it's done like she changed her mind. And I was like, what? And she said, it's done. She signed. Congratulations. And I, my legs you gave fell out to the ground. I fell to the ground crying. My legs gave out. We were and in a like, hospital, which was Nurses good. like all around were like crying like every, because they knew what we were waiting for. And we left the hospital with her. Yeah. And even still, like there's so many, like there's so many barriers in adoption. Like even when you have them, it doesn't mean that it's done. And even, you know, her mom signed away rights. And so Okay, we're recognizing the state of Nebraska as her parents, but then we weren't recognizing California yet. We had to wait for that paperwork, and then you get back to California. And it takes about a year for to get like finalize the adoption. So it's her a,
1: gotcha day. A, a, her
0: gotcha day. So it just it's all a lot. It's a lot, and um, you know I always tell people like, now I hold no one. I'm like, oh, we were waiting for you. Yeah. It took five years to get you, but we'd wait 10 years or 15 years to get you.
1: Oh, and I'll be just super, super clear to the person who's like, yeah, but I'm not sure if I want to have an adopted daughter. I have not had one single moment of my two years of time with this baby where I looked at her and said... There is my adopted daughter.
0: Exactly. I don't know a parent who does that. It, it
1: it has it hasn't even crossed my mind. Yeah.
0: People ask. They're like, "Is there a difference?" I'm like, "Absolutely not." There is not. not
1: one. In fact, I will say this, and then hope the boys don't hear this, but like, the journey to get from where we started to the, you know, her being here, in some ways, made me bond with her faster for the, you know, the journey itself.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think now the world looks like how do we raise her in a way that celebrates her unique story and her unique history and um, culturally, how do we celebrate her culture is different than ours. Um, So she is um, African-American and Indonesian. um, And I think she's got a little like Norwegian, a little bit of that there too. Um, But making sure that we... That she knows where she comes from. And also, she's a corn husker.
1: Yeah. And and, you know what? By the way, she's going to have the ability to know the first mama and her kids as Mm -hmm. she's interested when she grows up. We had her first mama out to her first birthday party. Yeah. And it was a really beautiful thing. Yeah. We send
0: pictures and texts and videos and check in with them. And they... Like her, her, Noah's first mom and her grandma and they all follow us on Instagram. And so they get to see all the stuff that y'all get to see. Um, and then we make sure and send stuff that's just special for them that, you know, everybody else doesn't get. Um, but here's what I would say. If you are considering adoption or foster care, I would just say arm yourself with information. I don't think that anything is as hard if you know, if you have a a good idea of what you're getting into when you walk into it. If you dream of being a parent and, you know, we've had this in our own families, we'd have this with our friends, where it's just not working for you biologically, this is a beautiful, not, not easy, but beautiful option. And then... I would say if you are a parent, if you're, if you're a foster parent and you're, I mean, you are literally doing the Lord's work on earth. And I just want to honor that oh, I agree. in you right now. I agree. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. These are not just children. These are all of our children and we are not all called to foster, but we are all called to show up. So thank you for the work you do. And if you're a, if you're an adoptive parent and you're waiting, you're in that long wait, please. Please, please just keep going. Just keep going. You can't give up, like that stranger said to us that day at the restaurant. You gotta keep going. You will understand why it took this long when you hold your baby in your arms.
1: I cannot top that.
0: (laughs) Happy birthday
1: Noah, girl. Happy birthday Noah.
0: The very first day of Rise is own your past. The second day is own your future. But I realized I was leaving something really important out. So for the first time ever, we added on an additional day to our Rise Women's Conference. Own your present. This day is devoted to health and wellness and not a diet or an exercise plan. But how do we view our body? How do we take care of ourselves? How do we change our perception about who we are and what we're capable of? We're going to dig in to an entire day to talk about it. The speaker lineup is incredible. It will be the most motivational day of all three. And even though the conference is sold out, you can still get tickets to this day. Minneapolis or Dallas, just head over to thehollisco.com and click on our events tab to find out more information. If you need a change, and this year I think you do, start with this day.